That's right. We're here to celebrate not just Jesus, but celebrate what God is doing in us and in the world. And so in a moment, the kids are going to be dismissed, uh, middle school and elementary school. But before that, I'd like to, or actually you can go now. And as I do that, I'm going to invite my friend Eric up. Eric and I met a little over 10 years ago at Covenant Pines Bible Camp. Since then, Eric has become the children and family director at Bloomington Covenant Church. And most recently, he just took a group of students down to this thing called CHIC, which is Covenant High in Christ, C-H-I-C, not C-H-I-C-K. So we're not trying to demean anyone, but Chick has over, I don't know, 5,000 students that attended it nationwide, and they bring in speakers, they bring in bands, but they also go and do service and learn what it means to take their faith beyond high school and live it out every day. And so I'm excited to hear what Eric has to say to us today. So, Eric. Thanks, Rob. Well, it's really good to be here. I really appreciate Rob's invitation. Um, church plants are really fun. Uh, I, uh, I grew up in the Covenant. I grew up at a church that has actually recently closed. It was a Covenant church for, over, uh, for about 109 years. And uh, I grew up there from like second grade and through high school. Through the years when I really struggled with my faith and ended up being uh, going to a church in college uh, by my roommate's sister's prompting uh, and demands that we return to church. And I ended up going to a church called Emmanuel Tabernacle, which is a church of God in Christ. Uh, I was, uh, it was a totally unfamiliar territory for me. But this is a church, uh, ironically, that was Bethany Covenant's first building when they were first planted as a church. And this church took it over. And this church taught me a lot about celebration. It taught me what it looks like. Uh, this was a church that had, sometimes on a Sunday, had a choir of about 13 people. That sounded like 55. It was incredible. And the preacher, the bishop, would, would preach and stomp his gator skin shoes and break out into song on their Hammond organ. You get the picture. If you've seen a movie, it was kind of like that. If you've seen a movie with that, it's kind of like that. But I grew up around storytelling, and that's what kept me in church as a young kid. That's what actually made me interested in sermons when I was a child. I wanted to hear stories about real people's lives, and I wanted to hear stories that really happened in the Bible. And I was thankful and blessed enough to have a pastor in my junior high years who was able to tell these stories in a compelling way and in a truthful way. So today we're going to look at the Exodus story in Exodus, when they actually left. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to be going through chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, not word for word, but I want to cover this broad area of the Israelites. So Israel was given the opportunity to leave slavery. They were given the opportunity by God to leave slavery. And they have seen miracles happen from God already. And they are dashing for their lives. And God has given them protection and guidance on the way. In front of them uh, by night is a pillar of fire for light and I'm guessing heat in the desert. And, behind, and, and, at, and during the day it's a cloud to guide them, most likely to give shade. 
God's provision is already in abundance. And then comes the very famous story that people who have not ever gone to a church service probably know of crossing the Red Sea. So God tells the Israelites to camp at the sea, to camp right on the beach. And he has them stay there. And while they're camping there, the Israelites look up and see Pharaoh's army in pursuit. Probably over a thousand men in an army running toward them by feet, by chariot. Now once Israel looks up and they see this pursuit and they cry out to God and to Moses, they say, is this the grand plan? Is this it to come and die in the desert? Does Egypt not have enough graves? It'd be better to be a slave. Given the information at hand, the surroundings, the present reality, this is the only plausible future that they can come up with. It's a bleak one. And here's Moses' response. He says, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. As I studied that this week, I see Moses is expecting to fight and to win. But God has a greater plan in mind. One that requires no planning from Moses or Israel. And something far more magnificent than a battle. I'm really tall, so I'm just going to bring this up. God responds, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Moses, take your staff in your hand. Reach out over that sea behind you, and I will divide the water. At that point, the angel of God leaves the camp of Israel, and the cloud that is protecting them by day also leaves in from in front of them and moves to the back. A rear guard and a cloud to keep Egypt in darkness and give Israel the light of day. God begins to stir his plan. Moses takes his staff. And he looks out at impossibility. Hopefully expectant enough to extend his hands over the sea. Along with all of Israel, he begins to witness God do the incredible. Scripture says this, all night long. All night long, the Lord blew a strong wind from the east that separated the sea in two. They watched this, and they felt this, and they heard this all night long. When you watch a movie or some picture, it's like this instantaneous, arms go out, sea is separated, and it's done with. And for me, when I read this, it's not quite that instantaneous. All night long, the wind blows in and it separates the sea. They watch this unfold before their eyes. 
And part of me still has wonder, and I love that sometimes there are things left out of Scripture that just pique my curiosity. Did they see the end? Did they see the other side when they started to walk through? I don't know. Did they see a little bit of an opening and begin to walk trusting that the rest of the water would also be parted? I don't know. As they walk through, there's a wall on their left and a wall on their right of water and a path in the middle. Israel begins to run and finalize their freedom. The Egyptian army pursues and tries to take Israel's miracle away. But the Lord jams their wheels. And the Bible says that he threw Pharaoh and his army into confusion. When they try to retreat, God tells Moses, close the sea, leaving the army in the depths of the Red Sea. God showing he'll do what it takes to save his children. And here's the celebration. Immediately after this, the waters have opened, the waters have closed, Pharaoh and the army are gone. Israelites stand on dry ground looking back over at their past. And Moses leads the men in a song. 19 verses. This is the first song recorded in Scripture. The first thing and the only thing they can do at this point is celebrate. What words do you have after something like that? After an incredible miracle where thousands are saved, how could you not sing? What else would you do? And right after they finish the song, in verse 21, Miriam, his sister, wants even more. She and the women of Israel grab tambourines, and they start dancing, and they start singing, and it's just a two-line song, but they sing it over and over again. They still don't have words. They are still celebrating. I'm convinced that when I get to heaven, Miriam is going to be spinning the DJ booth. Moses has the first recorded song, but his sister Miriam has the first recorded party. What else do you say after a miracle like that? At this point, Israel was hopefully expectant, and their perpetual celebration revealed their gratitude and their connection they felt with God. What happens next is a little bit of a different story. What happens next is the beginning of their journey through the desert. And there's three places I'm going to talk about. The first place is Shur, S-H-U-R. They've spent three days in the desert, and they find no suitable water to drink. The people cry out. They tell Moses, and and they tell Moses that you've let us nowhere. There's no good water to drink. We're out here to die. Moses has another conversation with God, and God says, take this piece of wood. Throw that into the water, making the once bitter water now sweet, and call the place Marah. Another miracle, but no recorded celebration. God moves them on to Elam, 
God leads them to an oasis of 12 springs and 70 palm trees. It's beautiful. You would think that's the promised land. Three days and you're there. Looks great. Is there any recorded celebration there? No. They stayed there for a while and they moved on to the desert of sin, ironically. Things got so difficult that Israel once again yells at Moses and includes his brother Aaron, saying, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They've seen miracles, and they've been guided, and they have been spared, and they'd still rather die. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we had meat for days, probably their hanger talking. But you two have brought us out here to starve to death. Have they completely forgotten who's leading them, taking care of them, saving them? So God provides food. He provides manna in the morning, bread from heaven that falls daily. And quail by night, he throws meat on the menu. Piles of birds. Scripture later talks about it as quail will be coming out of your nostrils. That's an awkward provision. (laughs) And they still have no gratitude. There's no celebration. What happened, people? Even when Israel was told not to try and gather extra food to store away or to gather food on the day of rest, some still do that. Because they just couldn't seem to trust the provision of a God who split a sea. Where is their celebration now? For Israel, expectations had taken a grave shift for the community. Hopeful expectation deteriorated. Celebration was no more. And it morphed into an entitled expectation. Lord, give us what we want. Moses, give us what we want. If you don't, we'd rather die. Where was their hope? Where was their singing and their dancing? When was their, where was their singing and their dancing when the Lord promised provision? And then after he pulled through time and time again. We saw a, a video. It's about six and a half minutes. I'm going to warn you, there is, uh, this involves an, an eye surgery. <laughs> so if you don't do well with looking at eyes underneath a needle, you could just close your eyes for that part. When they start coming into the medical, you'll see everybody dressed in uh, OR gear. Just close your eyes. But this video is worth it. is the highest mountain range on earth. The world's tallest hundred mountains are all here. And within these peaks live 70 million people, many at altitudes that pose a threat to the human body. In the Daromba region of Nepal, the residents face an insidious threat. 
Dangerously high levels of harmful UV rays pierce the thin mountain air and burn people's eyes. And here in the village of Balao, 65-year-old Tatini has paid a heavy price. She's blind. Tatini is determined not to let blindness interfere with her life. But simple tasks such as fetching water now take longer and can be treacherous. Her blindness is caused by cataracts, a fogging of her lenses exacerbated by the intense mountain sun. But isolated here in the Himalaya, Tatini has no access to medical treatment. Fortunately, an answer to her prayers may be just around the corner. From Kathmandu, Dr. Sanduk Ruit has pioneered a method of eye surgery that he brings to the remote corners of the Himalaya. His mobile clinic brings hope to thousands. And today, Tatini is setting off to join them. She has arranged for the only transportation available to her in these mountains. A friend has offered to carry her 10 kilometers to the Duramba Clinic. While Dr. Ruiz's success rate is high, there is still a strong chance that Tatini's eyes are too far gone to be saved. He makes no promises. Daramba's schoolhouse is now an improvised operating theater. It takes Dr. Ruit just half an hour to remove Tatini's fogged lenses. He then replaces them with a synthetic lens he manufactures himself. In the West, this operation could cost $8,000. But funded by charity, Dr. Ruit doesn't charge his patients a single rupee. With surgery now complete, Tatini can only wait.
Just 24 hours after her operation, Tatini joins hundreds of patients waiting to have their bandages removed, hopefully with her sight restored. For Tatini, this is the moment of truth. For the first time in three years, Tatini can see. In the Himalayan foothills, modern medicine is helping prolong the lives of the people who live here. I love Tatini, and I want to be like Tatini. She has so much faith to just keep going even though she was blind. Carrying water that weighs about 30 to 45 pounds on her own while blind up and down mountains. She's not going from the living room to the kitchen to get a glass of water. And she's not going with a friend. She does that alone every day. And she gets an opportunity and someone carries her for over six miles so she could have a chance at seeing. There are no guarantees. Tatini was dealt great difficulty. And there's not a glimpse of entitlement in her. I can't even tell if she has any expectations at all. The joy she had when she was healed, I don't know how old she was, but she was moving. And so were the other elders around her, clapping and singing and risking breaking a hip. That did not look like firm ground all the time. Dancing and singing and praising. She had so much hope. So much hopeful expectation for her future. No entitlement. I feel entitled when I'm missing fries in my order. It's silly. It's laughable. What kind of expectation do you have from God? Is it hopeful? 
or is it entitled? And it won't take very long for your gut to tell you the truth. Our kind of expectation reveals our current relationship status with God. And it shines light on how we view not only our life circumstances, but also how we believe God will respond. We need more people like Tatini. Our level of celebration in our response is a great indicator of our expectations and relationship with God. When I and my wife hold me accountable to this, it's an immediate gut check. And I found myself in entitlement far more than I'm comfortable with. Luckily, thankfully, we don't have a God that holds that against us and invites us into celebration. Even in the midst of things that are impossible and difficult and angering, that involve other people, that involve terrible situations and circumstances. A man in my life when I was young, Jim Hawkinson, who's now passed, father in many covenant churches, when he would come and preach at our church in his 60s, he would dance up and down the aisles and be the only one, and he didn't care. And the moment before he had his last surgery, the surgery that he ended up dying in the midst of, his, one of his sons snapped a picture and put it up on Facebook. And he had this grin on his face that looked like somebody just told him the goofiest joke in the world. So hopeful. Hopeful in doctors, but even beyond that, hopeful in Christ. That he is provided for. That he is going to be more than okay. He's celebrating in that moment when most of us have our greatest fear. So here's the challenge. Remember and retell your stories of God's provision and salvation. Remember them and retell them to yourself, to your spouse, to your friends, to your colleagues, to your children, to other people's children. The younger generations are watching the older ones, watching the celebration. Is there anything left in you when you reach adulthood. The history of God is still alive in your present because God is alive. So celebrate, worship, talk, and live out this reality. If you are not satisfied with how you approached worship thus far this morning or approached God thus far this morning, your loving and heavenly Father is asking you to fall into it now. Look like a fool. Who cares? Embrace this moment with God and celebrate in the midst of wherever you are. Amen.